0: The Road to Broadway was anything but normal for the creative team behind this Broadway hit. Hello, I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. Next to Normal is that rare thing, a new and original Broadway musical, fearless in its subject matter, bold in its theatricality, and most important, a genuine hit. Joining me to talk about the unique journey that Next to Normal took, from readings and workshops to out-of-town tryouts and ultimately, The Broadway stage, our director Michael Greif, composer Tom Kitt, producer David Stone, and lyricist Brian Yorkey. Welcome, gents. So, Next to Normal. um, I understand that Tom and Brian, you met at Columbia. So, did Next to Normal come out of the famed uh, varsity show at Columbia?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, certainly that, uh, the the potential to write did. Uh, Brian and I um, had a uh, a very fast uh, and furious love affair, writing together, and uh, we decided we wanted to keep doing it after the varsity show. So we uh, applied to the BMI Musical Theater Workshop, where Next to Normal began.
2: Yeah, I think it had I think it had something to do with the varsity show. You know, we um, the, the Next to Normal came out of uh, our work in the BMI Workshop. It actually was the final project of our first year. And in the first year of the BMI Workshop, your final project is a ten minute musical, and we were looking for an original idea. And uh, I saw a television report on shock therapy, which I didn't know, ECT, which I didn't know was still practiced. Uh, and I learned that, in fact, it is, and it's a very important treatment for a certain kind of patient. Um, and so I called Tom up, and I said, what about, uh, what about a musical about a woman who struggles with depression and has shock therapy? Tom said, all right. And, uh, <laughs> and I think that partially came from, you know, um, from our college experience where I would call him up in the middle light and say, what about a song about people getting drunk in the library? And you would say, okay. So, I mean, and that's really kind of characterized our relationship. And, and from that beginning, you know, Next to Normal was born. But isn't, isn't the BMI Workshop
0: uh, a, a fairly regimented um, sort of process of what kinds of musicals you should write that lead up to an original? It is. There's
2: a, through the first year, you have a series of assignments that I think are, are ver- I think they vary a little bit, but I think that, year after year of BMI, um, workshop attendees have done the same assignments. One of them is writing a song for Death of a Salesman, I think is one uh-huh. of the famous assignments. Streetcar um, Name Desire. Streetcar Named Desire, writing a charm song, you know, so there are very sort of series of regimented assignments, and I think, you know, we learned, I always refer to the BMI workshop as our graduate school mm-hmm. in musical theater, and we learned a tremendous amount. We also I think, as you know, I think as, you know, cocky young people, this was a while ago, <laughs> tend to do, you chafe, you chafe a little bit against sort of the regimentation of it all and want to break out a little bit. So that's really, I think, part of, is that fair to say? I think so, yeah.
0: But even, even within the, uh, the BMI workshop, was the idea of a musical based around a woman who has
1: electroshock therapy uh, greeted with enthusiasm by your colleagues? I think most people probably were... Uh, very questioning when they uh, when they found out we were writing this. And what was interesting was after this presentation, this first 10-minute presentation, uh, there were still a number of people who thought that, well, that was very interesting, but how could that ever go anywhere else? And then there were some people who came up to us and said that was really inspiring and wonderful. What are your plans? Um, so I, I don't think that Brian and I, after that, were necessarily thinking we would continue to write this show. But what we found over the next couple of years was as other ideas were coming into our head, we kept going back to the subject matter. We just kept being inspired by it and wanting to write uh, new songs for it. We went backwards a little bit because you're supposed to do your outline first and right. then write your songs. Mm-hmm. And we wrote our songs first and then had to figure out an outline around them all. Um, but Which uh, for the
2: record, we don't recommend. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't.
1: But I think that the enthusiasm that we were getting from people was what helped us keep going. And what was
0: it about? this the news story that you saw that made you feel that there was uh, that something musical and was it her that you that you, it thought was, of you
2: that? know the, 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 this was many years ago so I don't know if the statistic is out of date or not but there was a t- statistic in the news story that uh, a disproportionate number of patients who receive shock therapy are women and a disproportionate number of the doctors who prescribe it are men but at the time it sort of made me think of a woman who has uh, and Tom and I knew a, a, a num- have knew a number of people in our own lives and also mutual friends who had struggled with depression and mental illness for some time and had struggled with finding the right treatment for it and navigating the sort of psychiatric establishment to find a treatment that worked for them. And so the idea of that woman was really, I think, compelling to us and sort of following her journey and all the sort of men in her life who tried to help her get well. But did you think of, of,
0: of writing her talking about her mental illness, or did you think about her avoiding her mental illness, or did you think about other people being drawn into it as the first way in?
1: I think that uh, part of the reason that BMI was 11 years ago and we're now here is that it was a difficult story to get right. Um, We'll
0: get to that. We have some people here who are
1: involved. (laughs) So I think that at first we we had a lot of different ideas. We were very influenced um, by Obviously, Rent at that time and Tommy, uh, we wanted to tell this story using rock music primarily. Um, and we had certain fantastical elements. So it was mental illness. It was also a vibe and a mood um, and, and an idea, I think. And what we came to realize is that it had to be more specific. It had to, what, not, we, we can't be writing a, a show about mental illness. We have to be writing a story about a person and a family and what they're going through. Um, And we had lots of great help doing that. But at that point, we didn't quite know that.
0: Could I ask you to play one of the first songs that you wrote for the show? Because when I was listening to the uh, album, the extraordinary, I have to say, cast album that you guys made, um, when I heard that this song, I I Dreamed to Dance, was one of the first songs, I thought, this has got to be interesting. Because in a way, this this doesn't sound like anything you just talked about. Yes,
1: no. And and, uh, that was a good thing to realize early on, is that the score could go in many different directions.
3: I saw you light the ballroom With your sparkling eyes of blue
2: Graceful
3: as an angel's wing I dreamed the dance
1: with you So I knew I wanted it to be a waltz and It was actually lyrics first, Brian, Brian had, uh, had sent it to me and I, I wrote it in I think 15 minutes. I just knew what it w- wanted to be.
0: And, and where do you guys picture her singing this song?
2: We pictured it, you know, much like it is now. Sort of she opens up a music box and and uh, that tune plays and it, you know, brings to mind a memory and that's the memory that she has. And it's, it's amazing. That's one of only, I think, two or three songs from the very first 10-minute uh, musical that have any sort of presence in the current musical. but. Uh, But it's very much like it was. And its titled the the show at that point was titled?
1: Feeling Electric.
2: Feeling Electric. And
0: how long in the process did it keep that title?
1: Uh, Second Stage was when we changed it. It was was Feeling Electric through the uh, New York Musical Theater Festival, um, which was 2005. And then we continued developing it under that name. But once we knew we were uh, having our production at Second Stage, we changed it.
4: I should say... I should say that the title change was actually very important to me because it really heralded a change in focus for the play. I mean, I remember when David and I first talked about it, one of the first things he said to me was, oh, that title's going to change. And it really, <laughs> it let me know that the piece was moving in a different direction. And, and it was very significant, that that shift.
0: L- let's talk about the, the, uh, the New York Musical Theatre Workshop, which is where it was first done. That's the right name Nymph. of the organization, NIMPT. Everybody calls the festival. It a festival. Yeah. I always everybody calls it NIMPT, and I wanted to make sure I that we got the here, title I right. And I, I got say. it wrong. Yes. <laughs> um, so you you, it you be Nimpt. <laughs> right. to too many, too many. But you guys, as the writers, it, w- it was in your court up until that point entirely, and you took it to the festival.
2: Yeah, we had done a couple of workshops out in Seattle at Village Theater. We'd done a, a concert um, version of the Cutting Room here in New York, but 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 Nymphedf was our first uh, <laughs> was our first full sort of production of it. All, you know, the, the actual length is in some dispute, but it was somewhere <laughs> in the neighborhood of three five, hours. Five and a half. Five five and a half, half hour. hours. David Stone claims <laughs> that he actually sort of passed a whole season, <laughs> f- turned from fall to winter as he was watching <laughs> Feeling Electric. But neither David nor Michael was involved at that time, right? No, that's where David saw it, I think, yes. at, 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 the, at the festival. You know, and up until that time, uh, it, you know, it was called Feeling Electric because I think it started, as I said, it started in a little bit of a snarky place, <laughs> I would say, and I think the thing that, um, we learned a couple things, well, we learned many, many things, but a couple of things pertinent, particularly to the title change that we learned were that, number one, you know, it started out being a musical about ideas, and it became a musical about people, and I think that that's... Um, an important lesson for me in all writing is that people are much more interesting than ideas when it comes to drama, um, and that's very much to Michael and David's credit because you know David said to us when he first sort of started talking to us about it, you have to decide if the show's about the medicine or about you know the people, and at the time we sort of said, I don't know what that means. It's that she's mentally ill. Of course, it's about the medicine, but we realized well, it is, you know, that's obviously part of her world, but it's about her. It's not about all these ideas we have about psychiatry and shock therapy and all those sorts of things. Those will come out in the drama, but um, the focus of it is about her. And I think the other thing that, that we learned that was helpful is that, you know, the, the, there is um, uh, sort of, uh, when you're young it's very easy to be snarky, it's very easy to be ironic, and I don't, you know, and there's a lot of great sort of fun material that's generated out of those sort of modes of thinking um, and as you get a little bit older, you start to realize, well, actually, snark and irony and sarcasm are actually kind of easy. Right. They're defensive poses. It's much more challenging and dangerous to put something, I think, sincere and real out in the world. And so, David, what got you to this show? Um,
5: I actually had met Tom socially and, uh, and just said, oh, I'll come see it when, when you do it. And uh, about a month or two later, I, I did Come and i um, yes it was it was um, a, a little longer than it is now and and, and I think a little unfocused and, and about and a, about all the things more about the medicine and more about ideas than it was about the people and the family and, and, the, and the specific relationships, but the score uh, even then, even though there are new things in it now, was so powerful and, and I, I just That I I wanted to to be a part of that.
6: All the climbing, all the falling, all the while the wild wind blows,
3: stinging you with snow and soaking you with rain. I
6: miss the mountains, I miss the pain.
5: What I think attracted me m- most is the idea that, you know, a lot of the shows I've done are are specifically about what they're about. Um The Vagina Monologues was is about vaginas, but it's about much more than that. Mm-hmm. And and to me that's what this is too. It's about um this woman and her illness and how it affects her family, but it's about how all of us are are, you know, we all I think grew up in that household. It may not have been a household with mental illness. It was um, it might be a household with addiction or just family members pulling energy on the room. Yeah. And and I I, I felt that, that, that you know, I never think oh, I want to produce something because of who will respond to it, but yet I understood that everyone could feel something about about this show. And so I just wanted to be a part of its journey.
0: And um, did you Bring Michael into it?
5: A little later, but yeah. Um, We worked on it for about a a year and a half, um, uh, just sort of with Carol Rothman. Uh, I'd seen it at at NIMPT. And then uh, asked Carol uh, to go as well. We had just done uh, the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee together, and Carol also um, felt she wanted to be a part of it. So through Second Stage, we uh, worked on it for a little while, um, and uh, and actually some pretty radical ideas, a new character. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the move already started happening uh, to, to the, this more sincere place, um, I think. And, and, and the process wasn't done, certainly even when, when uh, Michael came in uh, or at second stage. The process of, of, of becoming more um, real and vulnerable and, and, and putting yourself out there was something that continued all the way up until... Uh, we came back to, to New York.
0: I think it's fair to say that, that any authors doing a show at a festival where you are, you are hopeful that a David Stone or David Stone will come <laughs> and <laughs> have the that reaction that he had. But when you all sat down, what was, was there anything that he said at the beginning that you thought, uh, you know, either that never occurred to us or I don't think you're right, that you obviously worked through because you're all sitting here now with a hit?
1: Well, uh, I think some of the changes, I mean, certainly the, the title change, that was, we, this show had been called Feeling Electric for, for a long time. And so that was something that Brian and I had to, had to get behind. And um, Was the song with
0: the lyric next to normal in the show? No, no, I'll no. Tell no. You,
1: I'll tell you the story, actually. We, we, <laughs> we committed
5: to, um, to changing the title, and uh, Carol Rothman had a deadline uh, to announce her subscription and do the subscription brochure. So we had to get a title by a certain date. And we were all Michael Carroll.
4: Uh, in a contest. Coming <laughs> up with ideas. <laughs>
5: and I, I, there was one night where th- the deadline was really approaching, and I was uh, in Prague actually, and uh, and calling them uh, in the middle of the night. I w- was waking up at one o'clock in the morning, two thirty in the morning, really four o'clock in the morning, which was still six hours earlier. So I still was calling them. They were having uh, ideas, uh, and I did, and um, and. This, literally, I woke up and I said, oh, what about this? And I called them. And it felt like Brian's syntax. It was not anywhere in the show. It just felt like something Brian would say in, in the, in the mouths of, of one of the characters. And, um, and they liked it, and Michael liked it, and then then you actually
2: wrote <laughs> a song. <laughs> and then we put it in the, Yeah. I worked for many years as an advertising copywriter, so putting things into, into lyrics has not ever been a <laughs> challenge <ever laughs> for me, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that's tacky of me to admit that, but you know, when, when we actually, I liked the sound of Next to Normal, you know, it fit with the idea of moving from a story that was about this idea to a story that's about a family. And it really made, it actually fit right into the lyric because it sort of expressed how I felt growing up. It's like, you know, I, w- I didn't want my family to be normal. I would like us to be a little bit closer. Right. You know, it would be easier if we were just a little bit closer. Uh, and I think that that really sort of, you know, made very much sense for, for Natalie, the daughter on the show, to say, could we just be next to normal, you know?
6: I don't need a life that's normal, that's way too far away. But something next to normal would be OK. Yes, yeah, something next to normal, that's what I'd like to try. Close enough to normal to get by.
0: Did this artwork
5: come at second stage, or did that come later? That came actually in between Arena Stage and Broadway. and. Uh, um, we we had artwork at Second Stage. Arena had their own way of doing things, and so this is what we use for Broadway.
0: And I have to congratulate Tom. Usually, when these things are done, the music when the music is used in the logo, it's illiterate. This is accurate.
6: <laughs> yes, we so yes, we, we, we got it. No, I think that's very it's important great. to me.
0: <laughs>
6: well, I figured as much. That's why I wanted to compliment you.
4: I love that the artwork actually reflects the set design, yeah. which actually happened before that particular artwork. And I, I think to be able to represent the show so fully and accurately is well, it, thrilling.
0: It, I, I find usually, because as you know, uh, there's nothing harder than finding artwork for a show. And usually when, when it's good, you realize the show's probably good, and, and everybody's writing and working on the same show, because yes. it all reflects the whole right. thing. So let's bring Michael into this. So you got a call from David said, I have this idea. I want Early in
4: 2007. Mm-hmm. I got a call from David and Carol, who said, Tom and Brian have written the show. We'd love you to come take a look at the show because we're hoping to do a workshop and then also a production. I I knew Tom. I had heard about Brian. I knew the play. I knew the piece theoretically. Um, I knew it as feeling electric, and I said that I would be really thrilled to listen to it. And I got uh, a wonderful bunches of, <laughs> of cds a stack of boxes? cds <laughs> I, got the, I got the box set which was good
0: uh and i, f- I, I see a complete recording coming in a few <laughs> years with four cds it could be yeah
4: i don't remember if there was actually text attached to it i don't remember if there was actually a script with it too but you know i remember setting time to really listen to this thing and really respond to this <laughs> thing and like david who actually had the experience of seeing it i just got to watch it I responded tremendously to much of the score, which was thrilling. And I also got a really good sense right away that Brian was writing smart, interesting, real people. And even though this was a a musical or even a rock context, he had managed to find people that I really could get at. And it really reminded me right away of of an independent film. I felt this is is a, a very plain, accurate, depiction of some folks living in a really charged, difficult environment. There was a lot of other stuff there, too, Mm -hmm. that was, I I thought, more problematic or less wonderful. But really, that core was right there. And it was really easy to to meet it and say, oh, I love what that's doing. That seems a little extraneous to me. This is an embarrassment of riches. We really can't open the show three times. I like this one. Do you like this one? I think you do. And that's the one we have now, which is great. Similarly with the end of the show, Uh, maybe the way Axe ended and Axe began, too.
0: um, (laughs) Details, details.
6: But,
4: you know, what a great process to be able to weed away. And once there was weeding away, or simultaneously while there was weeding away, when I first came in to talk to Tom and Brian and Carol and David, um, there seemed to be a real shared feeling of, oh, this has to go, and a wonderful feeling also shared of what needed to be built. Mm -hmm. You know, there were aspects of the story, especially about the mother and the daughter, that, you know, when I came into the room, all of these other artists were already saying, one thing we really feel we need to get at a little more strongly is what happens between the mother and the daughter, Mm -hmm. which seemed exactly right to me. And I just felt like we were really on the same page. And, you know, I mentioned earlier about the title. It really did prove that this change in focus was really widely held, and, and they really mean it. Because sometimes you go to these meetings, and it's like, oh, yeah, we should do that. (laughs) And uh, you sort of have in the back of your head, this will never happen. There's not going to be any movement here. (laughs) And this really felt like, oh, these people are ready to make a move. And everyone was sort of saying the same thing. It It was a very healthy, even though it's such a diseased subject, it was a very healthy environment to walk into. It felt great right away
0: since we're sitting around a piano, I'd love to uh, play some song that sort of is, that represents next to normal at that point before, before it was performed at second stage. Something that, that we, you guys were obviously excited, you know, and more contemporary, because it is a contemporary score, and I asked you to play one that's reminiscent of, of the
1: past. but uh, Sure. Well, I mean, I can play you a little bit of, uh... What, like
6: Why don't something? you play Feeling Electric? I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Of the well, the title like track.
5: The title yeah. track. <laughs> so actually was still in at second stage, um, Famously, and uh, and I, we'll talk about that. But why yeah. do you play? Uh,
1: I'll just start right
5: on the. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, and, and you know, this was a, a song that was in the show from the time I saw it and obviously well before, um, as it was the, the title. title from the very beginning. And, and we realized um, that it, the show had, had evolved and there were still vestiges of, of uh, earlier shows, that earlier versions that maybe didn't fit anymore.
0: Maybe
2: more idea? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, at the, at the time, the thinking was it would be very interesting for as Diana went in for her EC treatment, to see her hallucination of what that experience was, which consisted of her psychiatrist ripping off his scrubs to a you know, heavy metal rock star <laughs> outfit, and singing an arena rock song called Feeling Electric. It seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> and it's still
5: a great song. It just
2: <laughs> didn't feel like it, it, it tonally fit the show. There was an, another
5: uh, song earlier in the first act uh, 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 involving Diana having a breakdown at a Costco that also didn't really any more uh, fit. And we, we, we sort of, we knew this even in rehearsal at second stage, but we needed to see it. And, and I think there was some, some disagreement at that point about whether it, it, these songs should go, and, and could the audience uh, stick with it.
4: Yeah, we agreed probably 75, even 85 percent of the time. And then there was another 15, 20% that we didn't agree upon until maybe Washington or New York. And I think but that, that's, that that's was what the process was like. That's collaboration. Yes. Yeah,
2: and I, you know, I have to say, I think that, it, it, not that anyone's trying to apportion blame, it was part of the process, but I think it was hard for, for Tom and I, and especially for me, to let go of things that we had had, been, had, had in the show for years and years. It took time, it took... Also, um, you know, the, the, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but the pressure of the New York opening at second stage, which for me was the biggest thing I'd done in New York up to that time, um, was not the best um, atmosphere for clarity and calmness of thought. So So you you cling cling a little bit, (laughs) you know, you cling a little bit to what you think you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, you know, and, and, and subsequently, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, it became easier to sort of say, oh, you know, that we do have to let go of that. And, I, and I've said this before, but one of, the, one of the many great things about our run at Second Stage is the Second Stage Theater, that beautiful theater that they have on 43rd Street, has this little odd loge section on the side. Um, and sometimes if it's not fully sold, you could go down to the end of that loge and watch the audience watching the show. Um, and so night after night, I could go watch them watching Costco or Feeling Electric and seeing an audience that had been leaning forward and interested lean back and go, what the hell is that?
0: Audiences don't lie.
2: Audiences no. don't lie. They don't lie. People individually can lie to you. Audiences don't lie. And so it became obvious, okay, they're not getting it. You know. So your options at that point are you can stand at the door and explain it to everyone as <laughs> they right. leave. Not efficient. Which is not efficient, nor particularly effective. Or you can do something else. That's great. I, I wanted to just to ask
0: at, at this point, because I, obviously the subject matter of this show, of, of this woman who's going through electroshock or electro Convulsive. Well, Convulsive. Right.
4: I think we should speak of it differently, because that's one event in the play. It, perhaps once upon a time, that was the event of the play. This is about a woman who has mental illness and the effects of that mental illness on her family and various treatments she pursues. therapy,
0: drug therapy, so ECT.
5: And
6: what, what, what I wanted to ask, yes. though, is,
0: is, is clearly, clearly you're in a territory for which a certain amount of research would have been necessary mm-hmm. and I just wonder where in the process and how much did you do or when did you get to a point that said, you know what, the world may do it this way, we're writing a show, we're doing it this way.
1: I think that we, uh, we wanted to make sure that the medicine was right no matter what and that's uh, because it, it is such a emotional story uh, in a difficult subject matter that people are struggling with certainly. Um, we get the question all the time about it, whether it's autobiographical, and in no way is it, but we have been touched by mental illness the way everybody has, and certainly in my family. Um, I come from a, a, a family of doctors. Luckily, my um, father-in-law um, is a psychiatrist. Um, my, my wife's uncle uh, is a pediatrician. Uh, so we, ha- we had early on a lot of doctors take a look at the draft and give us their uh, feedback, and we also wanted to make sure that everything, even though it has to be dramatic and you're telling a story um, you really want to get the details right and not have anyone say well that can never happen because I think it would pull people out who, who know it well.
2: Yeah it was important to us you know the, 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 the specifics of her situation her diagnosis might not be the experience that everyone else has had. I think everyone's experience of mental illness tends to be different because they tend to be unique but the, um, the goal we had was always that the doctors in the piece would behave as competent well-meaning doctors would and that the details of the way uh, the medical establishment responded to her illness were authentic and accurate because the story was about her struggles and the fact that the best medicine and the best intentions can't always cure mm-hmm. mental illness um, and it was important for us to be, I think, well-researched to make that point. Back to showbiz, okay. <laughs> so, so, now,
0: so so second stage. Now, David, you had the rights uh-huh. and I assume that, that you must have had a notion that perhaps might maybe Broadway at some point, but
5: yeah, I mean w-
0: we did we had Michael
5: directing and Alice Ripley and, and Brian Darcy James uh, in the show at second stage, and thought that that if it if it got wonderful reviews, we could move uh, it to Broadway very quickly as as Spellingby did, but um, the reviews at second stage were were mixed but encouraging and you, one could read them uh, as okay. Well, nice try. Looking forward to your next show. I chose to read them as keep working. Um, there's there's something here, and you need to 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 make it more sincere, more real, more vulnerable. And um, so, in w- I thought that the only way to to at least complete our work. Um, who knows if if it had any future commercial life after that? But to complete our work. We should do another production, and that meant doing a production out of New York. We just did one in New York, uh, and it seemed a crazy idea. No one, I think, had ever really sort of done a show in New York and then left New York before. But uh, but we loved the show, and we wanted to we wanted to see it, it completed, and to, to to make the show we we wanted to send out into the world, maybe just to be licensed elsewhere, and by taking away the the commercial pressure or the expectation that it might move to Broadway, it actually was, I think, the best thing that could have happened to the creative process.
0: Why Arena Stage in
5: Washington? Um, because we uh, uh, wanted to do another production. Uh, Chicago was a possibility. Uh, Molly Smith came and she was really excited about doing it. And um, now, you know, here's the sort of superficial part of show business. It's close on a train. We all could live <laughs> right. in New York and go down there. It, it made it, it easier for all of our lives to be in Washington. but. Also, to have an artistic director down there who was so enthusiastic about it helped a great deal. You
4: no, know, we also had the very, very unusual step of actually making changes to the show after we opened. Mm-hmm. Just about two and a half yeah. weeks before we closed at Second Stage, we, did a, um, we cut a song we cut and changed the, the opening number just another day and w- recognized the effects of, of that structural change very vividly. And people who saw the show either before and after, or or had very different feelings about the show, certainly, yeah. or certainly about the first act. I mean, it made a very profound difference. And it showed us the way that these changes could really yield tremendous It was benefits. incredibly
2: mm-hmm. educational and also a little bit terrifying mm-hmm. to see so clearly the difference one song made in the show, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to just that, that one. Not insignificant change, but it was just one song that we cut and did 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 that action that action beat differently um, and uh it, it, it really kind of revolutionized the show and I think that was for me doing that and then seeing what that did made me go oh there's more to do here, and we can we can fix this. So 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 the pressure was not to open in New York. The pressure was now okay. Let's look at the show and see what needs to be what done. What a fantastic pressure. The pressure was <laughs> pre- Yeah, exactly. The pressure was off in a way. Yeah. You know, it was a remarkable sort of gift, especially because the I think the attitude that David instilled and I think that we all really kind of took was maybe this will never get to Broadway, but we have a chance to make it better. To make it better. Just before we went back to work at Second Stage and cut Costco, right after we had opened and we received really some, you know, some violently mixed reviews. Some were so positive and some were so negative. And you know, it's you know, uh, uh, I read every review. People say they don't. I don't believe them. (laughs) But you know, you read uh, because you sort of have to, not only because it affects the life of the show, but because it's you know, you need to learn what what people whose job is theater say in response to the show. It was, a, it was a tough process, and right after we opened and the, the idea of going out of town first came up, I said, I don't know. I think I might be done. I think I might be, you know, I've been doing this show for 10 years. It might be time to move on. And Michael said at the time, well, it's the, the question is, do you want more life or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and at first I was like, you know, well, that's, that's not really the question. It's too simple. And then I said, well, actually, it is that simple. Mm-hmm. Do you want a chance to keep working or not? And in this business, if you have a chance to keep working, you take it. Yeah. Uh, how much of... Shaping and fixing a show like
0: this is based on gut instinct. And how much do you think, Do you think um, we don't know that much about that person, we need to know more about that person, that person's not sympathetic?
5: I, I actually think that, that it was the run at Second Stage, and it was the, the press, and it was the audiences who told us when what w- w- they, we needed to see m- more of Dan, of the husband, we needed to understand why he was still there, s- why he stayed. Uh, we needed to to sharpen the relationship with with uh, mother and daughter, in that there was was a song at second stage, but it wasn't quite the right song, wasn't the right tone. Uh, we were putting people off by the the tone of this Costco song and a feel and electric, and we needed to to see Diana's ECT through um, her point through of her view. point of view rather than some pr- you know secondary character, and these were things that were clear as day from the audience and th- the press and. So the gut instincts are how to fix it, and that, that's what uh, the artists did. But, but the idea of what to fix was pretty clear. Yeah.
4: And also when they matched up with your own gut instincts. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of that for yeah. all of us. And there I mean, was a lot of like, oh, I worried about that. Oh, that makes sense. That, yeah. I felt that.
2: I mean, I had, a, I mean, I had a, a notebook that I filled in this time with um, quotes from reviews, quotes from friends and colleagues, notes from Michael, notes from David, Carol... Um, and things that Tom and I discussed. And we'd go through, Tom and I would go through the notebook and look at the things that, that appeared on every page. And I, I know that sounds sort of pedantic, maybe? I'm not no. sure that's the right word. But that's what, it's what we did. And it was actually sort of not a creative process. It was very much like doing homework. Mm-hmm. But then once we sort of saw the things that appeared on every page, we had a to-do list. And then that's where the creativity comes in. You figure mm-hmm. out how to execute it. But it was a very... Kind of, you know, diagnostic process at that point, and I think it was the way to go. Yeah. So, so you listened to everybody, and then figured out where there was th- consensus. 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 Yeah. I think you listen. To, I think you listen to everybody. I think it's folly not to. I think anyone who has a genuine response to what you've done can be helpful to making it more to making the thing you do have the effect you want it to have.
5: Having, you know, I mean, I remember when we were uh, in San Francisco pre-Broadway with Wicked. One of the things that that. Um, Joe Mantello and, and Stephen Schwartz and I were trying to explain to m- Mark Platt, who, who, who was our, my partner on it and hadn't done a musical <laughs> yet, is that you you listen to everyone, um, w- especially when they're telling you what is wrong uh, and what they're not understanding. Everyone can have an opinion about what's wrong. When they start telling you how to fix it, then you, t- then you tune <laughs> out. You, you can't listen to everyone's opinion on how to fix it. You really can only listen to
1: you know, each other's opinion on how to fix it. What's interesting about our show too is that, because so much of it is through Composed, or uh, we don't have so many applause buttons, I mean, none in Act Two, you can't always go on the audience every moment of your show. You're you're, you're kind of going on a feeling anyway. And I remembered thinking uh, the week before we opened a second stage, I actually went out to lunch with Anne Marie Malazzo, uh, our vocal arranger, and I said, we're gonna get killed on Feeling Electric, aren't we? I just feel it. There's something about the audience in that moment that's, that's just not right. Um, and, um, you know, it was wildly all over the place in terms of reaction, but I remembered being down at Arena with the new ending, and you could just feel it in the audience. And the same thing with Act Two, even though, again, there's no applause happening, you just could feel how they were with it in a totally different way. Um, and sometimes, when we got to Broadway, applauding in places, we had, to, we had to move to take them out because we really didn't want them. But when, you, when the audience is that way, when they're so with it in that moment, going places that you don't expect, that's a very exciting thing. And I think that you, know, you use you sort of your gut instinct. I think with this show, there is some of that because you can't necessarily respond to it in the traditional ways that musicals are written. Did you make any mistakes in the changes? Um, you know, for, for just for me personally, I felt like going to Arena and then Broadway, everything that we did made the play better. And I've been in a number of different... Um, it, processes, whether I'm a writer or a musical director, um, and that's what you hope for. And, and sometimes you can't see it um, when, when you're in it, but looking back, and I, I remember that night at Arena, I, I turned to Brian and said, you know, I'm really, my pencil is down and it feels great. I don't, there's not anything I regret that's up there. I, I have
0: to say, that's very much the feeling I got about the show, because I saw it at, at Second Stage and I thought, I really admire this. I, I can't love it. I admire it. So it sort of kept me somehow at a distance. <laughs> and then when I saw it on Broadway, I thought, I don't know what work they've done, except the Costco song. I was very <laughs> aware that that's not there. But the rest of it, I don't even know what you did.
4: The way the first act ends is significantly yeah. different.
6: Yeah, no, we know, we,
2: did make, you know we, made, we made lots of mistakes along the way. One of them that I think is very interesting, and I don't know if we want to get one more little piece of music in, sure. but um, we, there was a song called I've Been, which is originally Tom, Tom, Tom is also a, uh, has a band, the Tom Kit band, and uh, it was a song that he wrote um, for them years and years ago. And I remember listening to it, and like many of, I say this you know, in all, in all affection, but like many of Tom's rock band songs, they're about a young man in love trying to find his way in the world <laughs> and figure it out. And uh, this was, uh, uh, and being a bit beleaguered. Right. And this was just such a fantastic song and I listened to it and what it was saying was like, you know, this is a great song for Dan. And so we re- rewrote the lyrics and put it in the show. And then at some point along the way, uh, between Nymph and Second Stage, we said, you know, n- at this particular moment in the show, no one wants to hear from Dan. It's not about him, it's about his wife. So we cut the song. And then at second stage, we heard, you know, at this point, we need to hear from Dan. <laughs> right, you right. know, we don't know what he's thinking or what he's going through. And we said, you know, oh, well, actually, we have a song. And we put the song back um, with some shaping and some incredible sort of sta- staging ideas from Michael um, that makes a huge, huge difference in the show. Yeah. You so want to w- play a little bit of I've Been? Right.
1: <laughs> I must say that there have been so many different mm. versions, including my own first version, that you may have to help me with lyrics
2: again. <laughs> You can just, you, know, you can just, OK. So, 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 so this is version. I've Been, which was in, just to, so we're sure. This was in the Nymph production, right? not in second stage, and then we put it back in an arena. An arena on Broadway. And, on, and it's on Broadway. And.
3: Standing in this room, well, I wonder what comes now. I know I have to help her. If I know how For all the times that I've been told The way her illness goes The truth of it is no one really knows And every day this act we act Gets more and more absurd And all my fears just sit inside me Screaming to be heard I know they won't know Not a single word
4: The fantastic, never-before-heard version of <laughs> some new and some old lyrics. <laughs> I, I <laughs> was right—a <It> <laughs> little bit of this, a little bit of that. So that's that's a unique recording, <laughs> <that>. only here.
0: <laughs> now let's get to
1: Broadway. Um, w- would you, as the composer, have liked a larger orchestra than you have? Um, you know, it was always this way. Uh, at, at Nymph, uh, we had the same setup, and there was something about the size of the. Uh, of the six piece, I mean, what was so great is when Michael Sterabin came to work on it. Um, Michael opened it up with the six. We have um, the the drum kit is is also joined by vibes and glockenspiel um, and djembe and the uh, the violinist is also playing keyboard and the acoustic. Uh, there's acoustic bass and electric bass, acoustic guitar, electric guitar. So I think that. Um, what's been great especially with our design team is, is the expectations and the tone of the show have always been hand in hand and I think that suddenly if you open it up and make it too big you lose something. So of course the, the composer and me, and the, the, uh, when, when, we, uh, when we did our Tony um, recording uh, we were able to use the big string section and that was kind of thrilling. Um, you know, suddenly Michael Starrman was very happy. <laughs> <laughs> that big string section. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> the. But I, I really think that it's the, the, the perfect sound for the show. And the great thing is that is that going forward um, in different productions, no matter what the budget, I feel like it's, it's manageable, so you mm-hmm. always get the, the right sound for the show. Yeah, that's good. So it opens an arena, and you say, all right. Or do you say, wait, well, a little more work? Well, no,
5: no, no more work. Uh, it was just, um, it was about my then- Getting the courage to, to, to say, okay, let's do this in the middle of a recession. Uh, when, y- you know, I mean, let's remember the timing. It was it, having to decide this in December and January to, to move forward uh, when there were articles every day in the press saying basically Broadway is coming to an end because of the, this economic. Uh, crisis mm. and um, oh, that 's why right. a lot of shows closed in January: a lot last of shows year. were closing in January, and even the shows that were open were clearly going to have this hard road ahead of them. It ended up not really happening uh, for Broadway, but you know I, I was as scared as anyone else, and even in the best economic climate, this is going to be a, a challenging show, yeah. I thought and uh, uh, so it, there was a little, a little wait, and the wait was mostly for, m- you know,
0: me just to say, okay, let's, let's go. And, uh, a- and... You also ended up, I mean, th- there's a thing that happens on Broadway in the second half of the season where shows tend to shift around a little bit, and theaters yeah. that aren't available become available, yeah. and I have to say the booth is the perfect theater. Which for the is show. what we
5: always wanted, and then we were going to go to another theater, and then that became somehow available, we, so we ran right in. And that was probably a, 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 a good omen, I think, that we were in the, the theater we always belonged. So as a producer, how were you going to sell tickets to this? Um, <laughs> well, uh, I think uh, certainly the, the, the wonderful critical r- response we got helped. Opening late in the season and having all the attention of the Tony Awards helped. Um, and And I think you know, shows are ready when they're ready. We, you, don't, you don't pick a season. Uh, but it's, it felt like it had a place in that season. There were big shows, and Billy Elliot, and West Side Story, and Hair, but there was nothing like this I- in that season. And I, I always felt that the, the, the three main things uh, that would sell the show were the score, the score, the score, the score, and getting it out there on the radio and television. Um, There are a lot of wonderful performances and and direction design, but Alice's performance is uh, never quite been seen anything like that before. So that was uh, a major selling point. But mostly, I thought it was about how it would make the audience feel, Mm -hmm. and and I think that's really the name of the game. It's it that's it's all word of mouth in the end anyway, and that's what people are saying. It's not just Oh, the show is this. It's about what it brings up in them and how they feel about
0: the experience of going. And I do want to talk about Twitter because um, I, I, I heard a statistic that there are eight hundred and seventy-five thousand Twitter followers. They're, more. they're almost it a million now. I was two weeks that. ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> Keep up. And but people w- are being bored. What was there. this Twitter serialization of the show that I? Uh, who wants to explain well, what Brian, that is. Brian explains it
6: well.
2: <laughs> well, the, the, um, uh, one, of the, one of the GMs, one of the general managers came to me, I think we were just about to open, yeah. and said, you know, we'd, we'd like to do the show on Twitter, um, and would you be interested in helping out with that? And I, at the time, I have to confess, I wasn't exactly sure what Twitter was. Mm-hmm. I was aware of it, but I wasn't sure. I, I know now. And so the idea was that we would, uh, along with our interactive uh, ad agency situation, we would break the show up into individual tweets from each of the characters, and tell the story that way. Mean from the show itself? From the show itself and tell the story of the show from individual Dan, Diana, Natalie, you know, everyone I tweeting what's going on. Using some dialogue and some lyrics from the show but also filling in. And, it, it, you know, it, 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 at first I wasn't exactly sure if it was going to work or if it'd be worth anything. And then what I realized as we went along is it's actually sort of a really fascinating way to tell the show because you got to sort of, the characters got to say more and they get to say in the show, and you got to get inside their heads in a way that you o- didn't always get to. Um, one of the things I think was most exciting is, you know, Henry, who is Natalie's boyfriend in the show, and is a great, you know, art, you know, great, ardent sort of faithful kind of guy, but doesn't always get to sort of. He mostly reacts in the show, and in the Twitter performance, he could spend time sort of mooning over Natalie and talking <laughs> about why he likes her. <laughs> and I think our th- the Twitter followers especially responded to that because they were able to really get to know Henry and, and get to know um, sort of how he was like many of them. And it was a really sort of fascinating way to tell the story that was the story that we were telling on stage from a bunch of different angles. And, and, and the followers followed it over
0: any period of time while, while they're watching the show? Over like about t- six weeks? Well, first it was, yes, each
5: scene in the show uh, was each day. So the first day was scene one and uh, there would be one tweet each from each of the six characters and then the next day scene two. That went on for 40 days. Then th- uh, we asked for pe- the audience to tweet in and say w- what they thought uh, about the show, how they thought the show, what happens after the ending of the show. And then Brian and Tom responded how what they think after the ending. And then we said, well, we want to uh, all write a, a song together on Twitter, uh, which... All being the characters and the, peop- and the no, followers? and the followers and Brian and Tom. Okay. So they contributed the ideas for who would sing the song, what the song would be about, where the song would be, um, and, and, and,
0: and even some
5: lyrics, and then Brian and Tom and wrote you, the song
0: with them. <laughs> I won't ask you to play it, but you wrote the song, yes? Yes. Did you put it in the show? No,
1: no. <laughs> it was never for that. But, but what, what I wanted to do uh, in writing it was... If there was going to be a new song in the score, what would it sound like? I don't want it to just be this strange anomaly that you hear it in just because we say it's from Next Normal. It is. I actually incorporated themes um, from a number of different songs and tried to write a song in the same mood and tone, so it would be something that we were proud of, no matter what, and and, and felt like it was in the world of Next Normal, even though it wasn't going in the show.
0: I th- I, th- I think it's in the whole world of of using what's available to to. I wouldn't say sell a show, but yes, sell a show, but more importantly, spread the word and, and, you know, and, and get the word out there and get people interested but in it. But that's what it was, and I, I still, I don't think anyone really
5: understands what Twitter is such, so, such a new technology, what it's going to be used for. The idea is just to create a community, to cr- have a discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never said, hey, buy tickets. You want some merchandise? You know, We'll give you a discount. We, we, it was really about, we have this. Would you be interested? And that's why they were interested. When... You know, we have more followers than, than Starbucks, which is mostly saying, hey, do you want a, 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 right. a discount? It was just to have a conversation. Many of these people who were following it haven't seen the show. You know, maybe they'll see the tour when it comes to their, uh, it, to their town. It was just about having, putting it
1: out there. What, what I felt early on, which is why I thought that Next to Normal could resonate was even at Nymph there was a real sense from the people who were seeing it uh, uh, um, that not only were they having an experience but but it was getting inside them that it was something they were experiencing very viscerally and telling people about and so whether it's the Twitter campaign or you know the way that they're they're outside after the show you can just see it in people that, that there's something about this subject matter that feels very cathartic and also feels like a community and so I think that we didn't want to just put things up there and be at a distance say, here's our show and here's some pictures and, and go ahead and enjoy that. But actually, what's so great about writing the song was that it was a communal experience and people had a stake in what was happening with something that they were very passionate about. And I think that's why it's worked so well.
0: But those who are interested in the show, the website is great and gives you incredible information. It's a fantastic website. I could have been there all night yeah. looking at it. It was, <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. I imagine that unlike other shows that any of you have, have, have been in involved with, there are people who have who have reached out to you or explained to you about it, who are not necessarily theater people, but are more people who deal in some way with some subject matter of, uh, of the show. Any specific experiences that way that stand out?
2: Well, there was, uh, there's, there's, there's one. You know, I think there's a bunch for us. I mean, we've been really gratified that, you know, the response from people who have bipolar in their lives or who have mental illness in their lives and their families, the response has been um, overwhelmingly positive and, and I also, I think, you know, people um, uh, love to tell their own stories, you know, it's because it's part of sort of healing. Um, and so people sharing their stories with us has been an amazing part of this whole experience, really for, for a while now. There was one, um, Tom and I were in the back of the house at the booth, we were in previews, it was a few days before the critics started to come. And on the way out, this, uh, this kid who I think could not have been more than 17 or 18 years old, stopped and asked if we were the writers, and we said we were, and he um, thanked us for writing the show and, and uh, started to cry. And sort of couldn't get his words out, and he, you know, he explained to us that he had just been diagnosed bipolar, you know, uh, just a couple months earlier, and wasn't able to explain to his friends what that was. And now he had a show; he could point them to that and say, "This is what it's like." Um, and uh, you know, at that point, I think Tom and I said, "Well, you know, I don't really, whatever happens with the critics, whatever happens from here, you know, doesn't matter because that's kind of that's kind of more important than everything." Yeah. One of the things I think that, and I wanted to ask, you know, I actually have never asked Michael about this, but I feel like w- we talk about Rent as an inspiration, um, obviously as a, rock, as a musical that incorporates rock and tells stories about real contemporary people. Um, it's an inspiration, and there, I don't think without Rent, I don't think there's an next to normal um, in terms of sort of the lineage of musicals. But I also think the thing that Rent did that, so, uh, that I hadn't seen in very many musicals was it said, it, it presented real naked human emotion and dysfunction. Um, in a way that a play might. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you say that's, that's fair? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, I think that, and, and I think that that, you know, and I credit Michael and our cast with bringing that to next normal as well. I mean, in addition to the material, it was this sort of commitment to to within a rock musical, which is a very, I think, stylized form, there's tremendous emotional...
4: Yeah, there's opportunity for extraordinary passion, mm-hmm. and that's what drew me to both projects very wholeheartedly. And it's been a great process getting at the rawness in both of those pieces.
6: So the other, I'm
1: oh sorry, no. the other wonderful thing, I mean, it, obviously the letters about people who have struggled with this have been so inspirational to all of us. Um, but the other, the other story about our show, which is what we've been talking about today, is the process. And what's been also equally gratifying is the letters from other writers um, and, and, and fans who have said you know, this gives hope to a show that needs some guidance, a show that needs some help. You know, what David has done, I know, has inspired so many people about the care to give to a show and, 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 and like Brian said, more life. So I think that you know, what's been great is, is, is emails and, and words of support about, you guys stuck with it. And, um, and, and
2: Tom got the, the Frederick Lowe Award from the Drama Guild and we were all there to see him get it. And it was a room full of playwrights. And in his speech he thanked David Stone for believing in an unlikely show and um, and sticking with it, and, and then and the playwrights in the room gave David a round of applause. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I, I don't know, but that may be one of the first times a room full of writers has applauded a producer. It was <laughs> well, pretty amazing.
0: I think it's clear that everybody hopes that musicals are put together the way yours have. It doesn't happen all that often when there are writers with a passion that start, a, a producer who sees something and says, I can add to this, and a director who sees exactly what this is and, and shapes it. I thought, as the director, I'd give you the opportunity. I'd love to pl- to play us out with the song because we're getting to the end here. So I thought you might we choose. Choose a song. You I can, the director can <laughs> choose the <a> song. <laughs> director's
6: choice.
0: The
4: director's choice. No. I'm the director. Would you to sing? It? <laughs> no, no, I'm no, not no, going to no, sing. Oh, it. Okay. I believe Tom is it. That would be fantastic. I think we should do. You don't know, don't you think we should do? You don't know. Sure. <laughs>
3: head? Do you read obituaries and feel jealous of the dead? It's like living on a cliffside, not knowing when you'll die. You don't know. Do you know what it's like to die alive when a world that once had color fades to white and gray and black? When tomorrow terrifies you, but you'll die if you look back? You don't know. isn't show you don't know you tell me let go and you may say so but i say you don't know
0: thank you just in context the song comes where
4: oh uh about a third of the way for th- after a third into the first act a great song where Alice, where the Diana <laughs> really reveals what's going on.
0: OK, and if, and if anybody wants to see the rest of it, you'll have to go see Next to Normal. And I, and I encourage everybody to, to do so. Thank you guys very much for being here. This it's has been, been great, great and here. inspirational. Thank you, Thank you for joining us. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, I'm Ted Chapin. And thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theatre, and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theatre television programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. Our annual theater company grants support New York not-for-profits, and since they began, have distributed nearly $3 million. We are also pleased to be the home of the Jonathan Larson Grants, which support emerging composers and lyricists. For people who are starting their careers, we have a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC. And our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theatre Wing's educational and media programs are available for free, on demand, from our website, americantheaterwing.org Thanks for your interest in the Wing, and thanks for watching.